I'm Jack Cotterell. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I will talk about the congressional subpoenas and how they need to be enforced. After that, we will move into an incredible interview with Gen Z political strategist Jack Lobel and finish it up with Tweets of the Week. Everyone, we have an incredible episode for you today, and we are excited to zoom in. So, Aaron, let's do it. Zach, let's jump right in. Let's do it. I'm excited. Let's zoom in. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Jack, let's do it. But before we get into the headlines of the week, we got to talk okay. about something that viewers are probably seeing right now for the first time. It's, it's okay, Jack with a haircut. Oh, my uh, gosh. For the first time in Zoomed In podcast history, Jack has gotten a haircut. And as you can tell- I finally tell, cut my hair. Yeah. He no longer looks scruffy. You can see his face finally. Jack, what do you have to say to the viewers? I, I have to say that I lost. Um, I'm very disappointed that I actually went and got a haircut. Aaron pressured me. Uh, he finally, he's a lawyer. He's a great convincer. Um, well, a good convincer, but you got me to, ouch, <laughs> ouch. you got me to, uh, you got me finally to get a haircut and um, it feels good. I'm definitely going to need it back for the winter when I'm absolutely freezing. Um, but for now, it's good to have a face again and it not be covered in hair. Well, see, Jack, um, if you were able to grow facial hair, you wouldn't need to grow your hair out so long. But, you know, we're not going to go into that tonight. Um, this is a Gen Z podcast. <laughs> I'm too young, Aaron. I'm too and- young. And with that, let's just jump right into let's get into actual, the actual headline. An actual yeah. headline from this week. So, recently, as many of you may know, the January sixth Select Committee has been gearing up their attempts to essentially find out the truth about what happened on January sixth regarding the insurrection. Now, over the past couple of weeks, the committee has issued several subpoenas to former pre- former President Donald Trump's associates, including Steve Bannon and others. And recently, many of these witnesses, through their attorneys, have notified the committee that they refuse to comply. Now, over the past few days on social media and elsewhere, many folks in the progressive and democratic community have been really pushing the January 6th committee to enforce the subpoenas. I mean, we, had, we saw a hashtag enforce the subpoenas trending earlier on Monday. And to this day, people keep wanting to uh, push the January 6th committee to do something because we can't set a standard that allows people to simply obstruct an ongoing congressional investigation by refusing to comply with the subpoena. So Jack, what are your thoughts about the pressure campaign that the public has really put on the committee? And do you think it's working? Yeah, I, I, I frankly love this. Scene. This is our power. We are calling on our representatives to push for, and again, I'm not a lawyer. You are. Um, I didn't think you could just say no to a subpoena. Um, I didn't think that was possible. And you can't, and you, you shouldn't cannot. be able to. I know there's been talk about um, those who try to deny or say no to their subpoenas being held in contempt of Congress. There would be jail time. There would be um, fines for that as well. But the people showed their power in a way that we are going to continue to, not just with um, making sure the January 6th committee is holding Republicans and the Trump cronies accountable, but we are going to use that same pressure to make sure that the Biden agenda is passed in full or in, in a significant way that we can be proud of. And that is going to have an actual effect on this country in a significant way. So I love seeing people use that, that pressure and, and really communicating with our re- representatives and getting them to move and getting them to act quickly. It was a, it was a same day thing. Yeah. We talked about seeing enforce the subpoenas trending all over Twitter, everyone pushing for action and action came because we were about it. We were locked in. And if we continue to bring that same fight to the 2022 midterms, there's 
quite literally nothing we can't do. And so I'm excited to see people energized and activated and saying we are not, uh, we're going to have our voices uh, heard and and we're going to stand up. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And I think that the public pressure campaign has worked in a lot of ways. It's worked in Florida uh, to get um, vaccine hesitant senators to flip on their position. Um, mm-hmm. And it's now being worked nationally to kind of enforce these subpoenas. And, you, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions going on on social media and Twitter, especially about what it takes to really enforce a subpoena that issued by Congress. So I figured I'd explain a little bit about it. So Perfect. the process by which this January 6th committee can do this is, so first they've sent out subpoenas, right? We, uh, they sent it out to Steve Bannon and others. And these subpoenas typically have a date by which uh, the witnesses have to send in documents or testify. Uh, from what I understand, this date, it has not passed yet. I think the first subpoena is the date is tomorrow to comply. But some of the witnesses like Steve Bannon have already said that they will not comply. They've already refused to comply. So the next step for Congress to do is the January 6th committee has to vote. And they have to vote by a majority to issue what are called criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice then gets this criminal referral and can decide whether or not to charge an individual um, who defies a subpoena um, in contempt of Congress. And the law and the statute or the law that is really on point here is 2 U.S. Code Section 192, which makes it a crime for a witness to testify or produce papers or documents in response to a lawful congressional inquiry. Um, And something that I think is fascinating about this is unlike in states um, where many folks have heard that term contempt of court because they fail to appear to testify or Mm -hmm. um, they do something wrong in court or whatnot, there, there is no mandatory minimum sentence. The judge really has utmost discretion to do whatever he or she wants with the person who's in contempt. If one of these witnesses like Steve Bannon is charged under section 192, there is a mandatory minimum jail sentence of one month in jail. So that means if Steve Bannon is charged and is convicted, he has to go to jail for at least one yeah. month. Judges have no discretion here. Um, and I think that's really fascinating. And I think that this process, unfortunately, is going to take time. Um, you can't just enforce subpoenas overnight. And mm-hmm. even if someone is charged with contempt of Congress, they probably still have to go through the court system. So you won't likely see any of these folks going to jail this year um, or over the next few months. But if charged, they can go to jail in six, eight months. I mean, whenever, whenever... Um, these legal proceedings kind of play out. And, and Aaron, you're the lawyer, so I'm just going to you know, ask you a couple questions. But so you think that because these subpoenas are being able to be enforced by the committee and by Congress, we are taking the steps necessary. I know there was a lot of fear about this is not this. We're not going to see this happen. This is Trump obstruct, uh, obstructing justice again. But you really think you know that people will be held accountable um, whether that be having to testify about <clears throat> the atrocity of January 6th and the role that they played or facing criminal punishment by Congress. Is that, is that true? Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I don't know and I can't say for certainty because it, you, as a witness, you can object to a lawful subpoena. Like mm-hmm. if you are a White House employee, you can object on the grounds of executive privilege if the privilege is claimed by the president or a senior government official. You can do that and that's completely lawful and you won't get in trouble for that. But what's interesting here is you have someone like Steve Bannon objecting on the grounds of executive privilege. But he wasn't remind a me, White House at the never time. been a White House employee. He wasn't a White House employee at the time. Exactly. Um, he hasn't been a White House employee since, I think, 2017. So mm-hmm. there is no basis for executive privilege there. Absolutely. Um, and any attorney who files um, that objection in a court of law would be lying to the court. And in my opinion, should be disbarred. 
um, because that is a blatant lie to the, uh, blatant lie to the court because there is no basis for Steve Bannon to claim executive privilege. So in that regard, I think that any of those objections are going to be quickly shot down by a court. Um, and then if he continues obstructing, then yeah, we're, we, you have to proceed with a criminal referral. Granted, though, I mean, in, in our history, we've never really seen contempt of Congress charges being brought against folks because it's so rare, because when you get a congressional subpoena, you comply. Yeah, but there's a lot of things in the Trump era that we have never seen before That's that are true. unfolding before our eyes. And this this could be another one of those first. But that, that gives me a lot of hope that these things can be enforced. And that doesn't mean it's time to stop holding people's feet to the fire, because we need to keep that pressure on that we want yeah. to see members of Congress act right now. And we have obviously been successful with that. And like I said, that makes me tremendously hopeful that we can coalesce and that we know we cannot forget the events of January 6th, because if people deny their subpoenas and don't show up, then we are just allowing Trump and his cronies for that to just be a practice run for insurrection. Oh, it, it's also, it's and we also can't gonna, let that yeah. happen. It's so bad. And it's going to set a standard for any witness to get uh, just a subpoena from Congress and just say, OK, screw you, Congress. We're not going to appear because you're Congress. You're never going to enforce this. What, why, why are you doing this? I mean, if we don't enforce the subpoenas, Congress is going to be de delegitimized for a long time, whether Democrat or Republican. And it's going to give an excuse for anyone to just simply say, I don't care about you, Congress. You're wrong. Yeah. Um, so holding so, people accountable is, is not just about the here and now, even though it is in a huge yeah. way, but it's about the precedents that we're going to set and what our future, what the future of our democracy looks like. That's why, you know, I, I saw um, a Democratic candidate, Marcus Flowers, who's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia, say that, you know, defeating Marjorie Taylor Greene is not just about flipping a seed. It's about, mm -hmm. you know, protecting our democracy and preventing people like her from bringing it, it down for 2022, for 2024, and for many elections to come. And that's how we have to think of this. We always say, or we have been for a while, that this is the most important election in our history. But this yes. is truly, truly, truly about defending our democracy uh, and, and saying no to those who want to upend it. Yes. Um, Aaron, you give me a lot of hope with uh, with what you've just you know talked about in terms of enforcing those subpoenas. That Fingers we will crossed. Be accountable. <laughs> Finger, fingers crossed. And we're going to get the action done. We're going to get it done, and we're going to be a part of that yes. movement. Um, and so I think that's the perfect segue into another person uh, who we're going to talk to. Well, Jack, before, before we get to our interview with, okay, um, with our amazing host, with, with our amazing guest today, I, I did want to bring up some late breaking news that is kind of just appearing on my social media. Late breaking and, news. I love it. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny because, you know, Jen Psaki today during her press conference, during her White House conference called Ted Cruz a world renowned business travel and health expert. Oh, yeah, that's a sake <laughs> bomb right there. Okay, so I just need I just needed to drop that in there because we can't let um, that sake bomb go untold. So Never. now with that, we're gonna jump. With that being said, <laughs> we're going to jump into an interview with Gen Z political strategist and my great friend. Uh, you, if you've listened to a couple of our Twitter lives, maybe you've heard it before. Uh, Jack Lobel coming up next. So please stick around for our incredible interview with Jack. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Aaron, is, is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals right now? Yeah, apparently, uh, if you are a Trump-supporting crony, you can just evade subpoenas without any consequence. Yeah, that's been, um, that's been bothering me lately. I thought you had uh, to go and testify with a subpoena, but I guess we're learning that's not necessarily the truth. Um, I guess not. <laughs> we're we're going to take care of that. We'll take care of that. Um, well, Aaron, BetterHelp is 
is exactly what you need then. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Um, You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist and you will get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room ever again. That's awesome, Jack. And if you are, if you're out there wanting to use BetterHelp, just like me, uh, go to betterhelp.com slash zoomed in. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are now recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And today, a special offer for all zoomed in listeners, get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. Just go to betterhelp.com backslash zoomed in. That's betterhelp.com backslash zoomed in. Our guest for today is my very close friend. Uh, He is a comms aide to Mark Levine in New York City. He is a future member of Voters of Tomorrow, uh, and he is a Lincoln Project alum, a star alum uh, like myself. Today, our special guest on the pod is Jack Lobel. Jack, thank you so much for joining us on Zoomed In. Thank you, Jack and Aaron, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so Jack, let's just jump right in. Um, I know that folks don't really know who Jack LaBelle is, so why don't you give us a little bit about your background and what motivated you to be get into politics, because not many people want to do that. Yeah, so political strategy is really what fascinates me. Um, what can I do or what can my organization do to move the needle in terms of voter behavior? What messages do voters really respond to or connect with? Um, I think it certainly makes our work easier knowing that we're on the right side of things. You know, only one party is trying to protect the right to vote, protect our environment, um, and protect students from gun violence. Only one party is trying to support real working American families. And only one party um, puts the futures of their children and grandchildren over contributions from millionaire donors. And I'll give you a hint. Um, it's the Democratic Party. Um, so that's really how I know we're on the right side of American politics, the three of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I bet, you know, that makes your job maybe a little bit easier um, being on the right side of history. Yep. But when you're talking about what got you interested in, in how you started to form um, these connections in politics, what, what is your background? What was the starting point for you? What was the genesis of this, you know, emerging career? So I actually, in seventh grade, um, I took it upon myself to do a live blog of the presidential debates. Um, and that's kind of where, really where that interest sparked. So um, when the pandemic came along, um, as awful as it was, um, and it, it gave me um, a chance to get more involved in local politics. So um, I got started as an intern um, and the, the youth field director on a local congressional race. Um, And then from there, um, I took my skills and interests to the Lincoln Project. Um, Like Jack said, that's where we met. Um, And I think the Lincoln Project gave me a chance to um, really think about where I wanted to be in politics, really think about um, where my interests were. Um, And, you know, from there, um, I actually just got started as a youth advisor to my local congressman. Um, I think that's something that that more local representatives should be doing um, is taking into account um, the youth voice, because uh, when people vote, 
Um, they're hearing from their constituents 18 years or older right now, but um, they never really get a chance to hear uh, from those younger than 18 in their districts and who are just as much their constituents as older people. Um, so that's how I, I got involved in local politics. And um, now I'm here with you guys. So doing something right. <laughs> yeah, so, so now you're on, from what I understand, you're the, uh, you work with comms with Mark Levine, who's um, was running to be the borough president for Brooklyn. Is that correct? For Manhattan. For Manhattan. Okay. So why yes. don't you tell us a little bit about your experience in that, um, what it's like working on a campaign for someone like Mark Levine, um, and just any advice you have for younger folks who want to get onto a campaign like that or um, something similar? Yeah. So I think um, I kind of took my passion for politics um, and combined that with, um, I think, the, the digital savviness that comes naturally to people like Jack and, and other people in Gen Z. Um, and I really made um, the campaign kind of uh, this, we, we call it a love letter to Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. It's just about um, what we want to see, our vision for a better borough. And I think voters really responded to that. Um, and in terms of Gen Z um, getting in, involved, um, I think that Gen Z has a unique um, responsibility um, and should have a, a voice at the table um, because ultimately it's these decisions and these discussions that are um, being made today that are going to affect us um, tomorrow and are going to affect um, our children and grandchildren. So um, I think that more Gen Zers should take it upon themselves like I did to, to get involved. Um, it doesn't have to be becoming a campaign aide, it, it can just be, um, you know, phone banking once a month or, or just telling their friends to or over the age of 18 to get out and vote. Um, I think everything starts um, with a small action. Um, and, and, and I think, um, like I said, more, more Gen Zers should lend their skills um, to electing the right people. And, and you talk about you know, Gen Z involvement in, in races and how our opinions are, are, so much valued because they're different. They're new, they're fresh. You talked about the role you played in, in writing that love letter, the perspective that you had. How do you see campaigns shift in their, in their value of, of young people and new ideas? Do you see candidates want more young people and more young ideas? And, and if so, how do young people go out and then chase those opportunities in places where they're needed to be successful in these important races in 2022? Well, I think young people represent the future of America, obviously. Um, and we represent the ideals of the future as well. Um, so like I talked about in, in my introduction, um, protecting the right to vote is something that young people care about. Protecting the environment is something that young people care about. Um, and when legislators respond to those um, ideals and, and similar priorities, um, I feel like they naturally attract young people um, who, who want to get more involved in their communities. That's awesome. Um, and we fully agree. So I want to do something different that we don't typically do on Zoomed In um, and play a little game. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to. I was thinking I was trying to create, come up with a creative name and I am not funny, so I haven't been able to. But <laughs> we're going to call this segment Jack and Jack Take on the Constitution. Okay. And, but essentially what Take we're going to do, 
take it on because that I, I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just name a few potential constitutional slash institutional reforms that we've talked about um, in the news. Um, and I'm going to get both you, both Jacks, um, give their take 15 or 20 seconds, just rapid fire questions. So we're going to start off with the filibuster. Uh, what is your take on the filibuster and should it be um, reformed or it should be, should it be completely abolished or neither? Well, well I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let Jack Lobel start off on this one. We're going to go with the guest first. That's Jack's way of punting <laughs> it. Um, but go ahead, Jack. <laughs> All right. Um, I think the filibuster should be abolished. I think there's only one way we're going to get a lot of these legislative priorities um, passed. And I think that the Constitution says um, that a, mi a minority shouldn't be able to shouldn't be able to overpower the majority for a reason. Um, so I think the filibuster needs to be abolished. And I am going to say that if it means either we keep the filibuster or we have climate action or we keep the filibuster or we have voting rights action or we keep the filibuster or we have, you know, a, a economy that's aimed at empowering the future of America, I think it's time to say goodbye to the filibuster. And I think we can agree on that. I think we're seeing a shift uh, largely on the left towards that idea uh, and even from our president, knowing that if the Senate's not going to work for the American people, the American people are getting on board with changing how the Senate works. So me being a lawyer, I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate here just for a quick question. Please second. do. And Jack LaBelle, um, how do you respond to the argument that we abolish the filibuster today, the Republican Party can do exactly what we're going to do in four years, two years, four years, eight years, and could essentially get rid of all of the institutional reform we've done um, and impose their own radical ideas on us? Listen, I think it's tricky, but um, if, if we abolish the filibuster today, it might even mean that we pass um, some voting rights legislation that will allow the Democrats to stay in power for a while. Um, America knows that um, Democratic ideals are, are popular, um, and that's why the Republicans are trying to pass these voting restrictions. So um, if it means we can pass the legislation that's protecting the right to vote, um, I'm all for abolishing the filibuster, like I said. And to that end, I'd also add that, you know, Aaron, we've had this conversation before about the filibuster and a lot of what Republicans would want to come in and do, they can do through reconciliation or without necessarily needing 60 votes. They can slash spending. They can give huge tax cuts to the rich. And I think if we're operating on a fear of what Republicans might do instead of saying this is what we can do and this is what we want to do, it's going to hurt us in the long run. So moving on to the second potential institutional reform, Supreme Court reform. Uh, so I'm going to let Jack LaBelle, you start out because Jack, the other Jack just spoke. Um, do you agree with reforming the Supreme Court? And if so, what does that reform look like? Because there are plenty of different proposals out there. I think the Supreme Court does need some reform. Um, and I think that would include two main things. I think that would include expanding the court. Um, and I think that would also mean putting term limits on justices. Um, I think it's kind of barbaric that um, people get appointed and they spend the rest of their life in that role. Um, I think we, and, and in terms of expanding the court, I really don't think we should put that much power um, in the hands of one person. I don't think that um, the access to an abortion um, should be determined by one person. Um, I, I just don't think that's how democracy is supposed so to work. What would you expand um, it so, to? So for, What's your number? 15, 
20. I mean, Israel, you have a hundred and hundreds of judge justices on the Supreme court. What, what's your number? I think that's tough. Um, I think 27 is a number that gets thrown out there. I'm not sure if um, anyone else has heard that, but but I think adding 18 to the existing nine is the most popular proposal. Um, you guys can let me know if you've heard otherwise. I think what I think um, now Secretary Pete Buttigieg, when he was running for president, uh, 15 was the number that he had. Um, I know that other proposals have been put out there. Um, my general thought, on changes to the Supreme Court. I believe it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg who said the what is most important to the Supreme Court is that it is a body that holds trust with the American people. And if that trust is broken, it what what do we have left? So it's all about having trust in the institution. And if reforms to the court will create greater trust, that's something that we should do. If it is not so, then I think much consideration needs to be taken before doing so. Well, I also think um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said another famous quote that nine is a good number. Um, and I agree with RBG. I don't think we need Supreme Court reform. I think if you're going to reform the Supreme Court, the way you do it is by reimposing um, a filibuster for Supreme Court nominees, making that 60, 60 or 66 vote threshold a lot higher um, so you don't get these radical partisan nominees coming in um, like you've seen recently. Go ahead. I say that, yeah, nine might have been a good number, um, but that was before Mitch McConnell um, and Donald Trump kind of, um, you know, messed up, messed up the court. And, and that change is, is seemingly long lasting. Um, so I think that nine is no longer a good number. I think that's fair. Um, so moving on to the last reform that we have is Senate reform. Um, and currently we have, as you all know, you have two senators per state, um, and that leaves you with sometimes inequitable results in that Wyoming, which has a population of about 500,000, 600,000, has the same amount of senators as California, which has tens of millions of folks um, living there. Um, so do you believe in Senate reform? If so, what's your proposed reform? Um, Jack C., go first. Hmm. Um, I think the first step in reforming the Senate in talking about access to voting is allowing access to voting. Expanding uh, access to voting rights is the first step to making sure representation is full and equal. Um, that would include DC statehood, statehood for Puerto Rico as well. Um, that would in essence expand the Senate to give more representation and more voice to the American people. And I think that's something that I would rather look at before changing the Senate as a body itself um, making sure that our voices can be heard is the most important step uh, in keeping our democracy functioning. And that's what we should look at before anything else. Jack, other Jack. So I'm not going to say, I, yeah, I'm going to throw out a crazy idea here. Um, I think this, the Senate um, in, in a perfect universe would work kind of similar to how Senate districts work in states um, I think in, in like Aaron kind of hinted at in modern day America, there's no reason why two senators from Wyoming um, should represent fewer than 600,000 people, um, while the two senators from California represent over 39.5 million. It's simply illogical. So um, I think if we keep the same number of 100 senators, um, their districts should include about 3.3 million people each. And I did the math here. So um, while Michigan might have um, three senators representing around 3.3 million people each, 
um, South Dakota, Nebraska, and this is just an example, but half of North Dakota might have one shared senator representing around 3.2 million people. Um, so that's just a kind of crazy idea that I, um, that, that Aaron, um, I think might be the answer to, to uh, one way to do Senate reform. Well, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, and yeah. I think, listen, whatever comes of it, comes of it. So with that, Jack, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for playing Jack and Jack Take on the Constitution. <laughs> it was really Take great Take on having the Constitution. You. That's an interesting <laughs> name. I, I don't know. That may yeah, be... Uh, I mean, you guys want to rip it apart. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, come on, Aaron. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I want to see democracy succeed. I that's do too. I, I do too. Um, that's, that's the number one thing. So... Well, Jack, uh, it is always great yeah. talking to you. Uh, we've, you know, done plenty of Twitter lives. I think everyone has responded so well to those. We just had to get you on. Uh, yes. And we are glad that you came on because it was an incredible show. I think we shared a bit of the Gen Z perspective, all of us, uh, about what the future of our democracy, the future of our Congress could and should look like to yep. best serve the interests of the American people. And that's something that maybe does not get talked about enough, and it should, because accessing better democracy is the steps that we need to take to a better america so again jack thank you so much for coming on it was an awesome time we really appreciate you man and folks if you want to go follow jack go follow jack on his twitter page it's at jack j-a-c-k p labelle l-o-b-e-l that's jack p labelle go follow him go blow him up jack thanks so much for coming on i appreciate both of you and the important work that you're doing thank you for having me on And now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet comes from Spooky Shelby, and she is talking about Indigenous Peoples Day, which just happened. And she says, uh, some people have been celebrating Christopher Columbus Day all year by spreading disease. <laughs> yeah, I think if Christopher Columbus came back now, he would be a he'd be a Republican because he sure loved spreading disease I, I, on that. I agree. And Jack, I know this is your segment, but I have to just hop in on one tweet. Um, so oh, wow. Okay. Aaron feature. I, like I know. It. So on Tuesday, Jim Jordan, our least, fa- one of our least favorite congressmen tweeted out, Definitely Ohio should ban all vaccine mandates and quote tweeting his tweet was Eric Swalwell, one of the best congressmen in office who said, Ohio should mandate sexual reporting or sexual assault reporting for coaches. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to agree with that one. And I'm yes. going to pretty much always disagree with Jim Jordan, someone who has been in Congress for way too long and has got absolutely nothing done. That is all that's, that's kind of like the Republican standard, be there for way too long and get absolutely nothing done. Um, and we're going to finish off our tweets of the week with one from Kyle Griffin saying, uh, stating some numbers from a CBS news poll about the Biden build back blood, uh, better plan. <clears throat> he says 88% of Americans support federal funding for lowering prescription drug prices 84% support federal funding for Medicare coverage for dental, uh, eye, and hearing, and 73% support federal funding for paid family medical leave. Finally, 67% support federal funding for universal pre-K. Aaron, we talk about this all the time. It is a popular bill because it is a bill that will help working Americans. It'll help Americans across the country, and we need to get our party behind it. Our party is behind it, except for two kind of thorns in our side. And if we can get a little movement from them, then this is yep. going to be an important piece of domestic legislation that will forever change our country in a great way. 
Um, and so if you have tweets that you have written and you think are, are, you know, are tweets of the week material, or you see a tweet at me, at Aaron, or at the Zoom Den yep. podcast, send them our way. We would love to share them. And that was Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much for Zooming in with us every Wednesday. Uh, And if you would like to continue Zooming in with us every Wednesday, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, You will get alerts of when our new episodes come out. Of course, they are weekly every Wednesday. But we'd love for you to get that little reminder to check out and check in with us on the Zoomed In podcast. So if you have not already, please subscribe. And if you'd also like to maybe leave us a review, five stars is preferable if you enjoy the show. Or if you didn't enjoy it, please do not leave a review and do not don't subscribe. Leave a re- <laughs> Actually, don't. subscribe, but don't subscribe leave a review. Subscribe, but don't leave a review. We don't need the negative energy. Um, exactly. this is a pos- these are positive vibes only. But if you'd also like to talk to us about the show or give us some thoughts, Aaron, where can the people find you? All over my social media is at Aaron Parnas. What about you, Jack? You can find me on Twitter at JD Cacciarella. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. Again, that is J.D. Cacciarella. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show this week, and we will catch you again next Wednesday.